0: Alright, here we go. And in three, two, one. Yippie Kaye Mother.
1: Welcome to the party, pal.
0: Welcome to Yippie Kaye Mother Podcast Classic. I'm Ralph Quartucci. I'm Sean Paul Murphy.
2: I'm Deborah Murphy. I'm
0: Chris Coker.
3: All right. And we have a special guest today. Um, he's a um, one of the Baltimore Beatles, according to Rolling Stone. Um, he <laughs> is, uh, his name is Joe McRae, and he is the bass player for the band Crack the Sky. When they first came out, Rolling Stone gave their debut debut album of the year in 1975. But through some strange quirk of fate. They re- became gods in Baltimore and not as well known elsewhere. But, um, in Baltimore, they, they are Baltimore's band. Um, the, they, you know, I used to work with, uh, John Palumbo who wrote the songs and even he was saying like, you know, the, the radio stations would be like five deep in any album they put out. The radio stations played the hell out of their music. They would sell when the Rolling Stones would put out an album, Crack the Sky, Crack the Sky would sell, outsell Rolling Stones five to one in Baltimore. That's how popular they are. So it's a, it's a great honor to have their bass player here with us today. I met him at a, um, at an album release party for your recent album. And I asked him what movie, being a movie guy, what movie best represents your life? in rock and roll and he said that's easy this is spinal tap and i said well would you like to come on a movie podcast and talk about how spinal tap you know equates to real real world rock and roll and he agreed so here he is joe tell us a little more about yourself
1: well um i'm from steubenville ohio that's the home of dean martin
2: and i'm from youngstown
1: youngstown Okay. Well, I was just That's the home of Debbie
0: Murphy. Yeah. Or not formerly there you Debbie go. Murphy. I don't know. Was it Debbie Murphy at the time?
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, Crum, Deborah Crum.
0: Deborah Crum. Okay.
1: Steubenville, uh, which is primarily a lot of Italian people. I mean, in this town, you had Italian grade school, Polish grade school, Irish grade school, uh, everybody else. <laughs> Right. A mixture. And then you all went to high school and there was like all these prejudices and stuff like that. that You just kind of grew up with and freshman year, you just duked it out. That was it. And then you realized everybody's the same. Oh, okay. It's cool. But, um, that's kind of Steubenville. It's a big sports town. So, you know, I was like fat, real fat when I was, you know, 12, 13, 14. No, not like that, but they, <laughs> they, uh, So, you know, sports are so big, and if you're a football player, that's great. So, But I was always on the line because I was fat, not because I could play football. And then, you know, I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. So I'm giving away my age. And I thought, that's super cool right there. But my sister had been into doo-wop before this, so... I got a good shot of like everything before the Beatles, which was great to see the transition. So now I teach bass, guitar, drums, keyboards and stuff during the week. <clears throat> and, uh you know, I, I try to bring my students through that transition, too, because I think that's important. And no one else is ever going to live through that. I mean, that for, for us and the, the way the 70s happened, you know, because the doo-wop stuff, you know, and and the soul stuff was there. And then Jerry Lee Lewis, on the other hand, was doing the boogie woogie, you know, and they started to ma- marry. And then, like, uh, oh, some of these artists, you know, um, soul artists just started to like, uh, what's the one, uh, twist, not twist again, um, twisting the night away. Sam Cork. Yeah. Sam. Yeah. The, and that kind of stuff, like that transition. Then, when the Beatles came in, it just like blew everybody's mind. Most of my friends are this musician friends. Same thing. Yeah. saw the Beatles. So yeah. turning uh, point you know, for a lot of people. I, I, I we we didn't have a lot of money. I begged my dad so bad. He finally rented me a a uh, acoustic for fifteen bucks a month, and I started taking guitar lessons. And then I ran into this guy in high school. And he said, hey, you're a guitar player, right? And I said, well, uh, sort of. And he said, but you're friends with that drummer, aren't you? <laughs> That's Joey D'Amico from Crack the Sky. We went to first grade together. Oh, wow. All through high school. It's always the drummers. It's always the drummer, yeah. <laughs> what is and that? And so I, his Joey's dad picked us up. We went out to this guy's house. And in the nine months that I was learning guitar, I learned how to play Little Brown Jug. And I read it and I was learning the Ch- Chet Atkins accompaniment style. And then I went to this guy's house and I learned seven songs that night. I said, okay, forget the lessons. That's enough of that. I'm just going to start, you know, working with people, showing me wh- how to play. Eventually, um, I don't know how long you want this story to be, but it's, it's long. <laughs> Let me try and keep it short. Eventually I figured out how to get pretty good on the bass guitar, right? We needed a bass guitar player. And since McCartney had made that transition, it was easy for me. So I, I started practicing like four hours a day. And then, you know, people started saying, oh, wow, Max getting good. And, you know, uh, I ended up working with um, Rob Parisi, who wrote Play That Funky Music, White Boy, and, mm. and sang it, right? And then I ended up doing – I became their uh, reunion bass player. Which was cool. Wild Come cherry. Out. Wild cherry, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, you'd be surprised how many people say average white man. Yeah. Because right. the word white is in both. Yeah. But, um, so, uh, we were playing in, uh, Geneva on the lake, backing up the coasters for a summer. And it was awesome. My grandmother came in in her sweater and long dress and her rosary beads. Oh. And I sang, let it be back then. And she was sitting in the front row. And was crying man
0: oh singing son.
1: to the blessed mother you know but uh <laughs> ended up leaving the band okay and he and he said come on joey let's go let's go i want to start a band it would be a rock band he and the drummer didn't get along at all in this other band and I said, but it's the first time i've ever been i've ever made money playing music you know i i mean i'm gonna stay here well he went off and then <coughs> we got ricky Wakowski in that band okay the, um guitar player for us, guitar player from crack the sky so um we used to have to wear tuxes because the drummer was the leader of the band right but we told rick don't ever well the way we got him in there i just i didn't know him i walked into a music store and he was on his if you ever seen rick play like acoustic guitar or stuff if you're in a room with him he's on his knees playing it just do Why well, walking this Store, this music store, and he's on his D's and he's playing Ohio. And I went, everybody played it wrong by one or two notes. And I wasn't a great guitar player, so I didn't never even try to play it. And I went, Hey, you're playing Ohio. That he went, yeah. I said, but you're, that's right. You're playing it right. And he went, Oh, thanks. I said, are you, so you're a guitar player? He said, no, I'm a drummer. He was playing drums in some band. I said, do you play? I mean, do you play electric? You know, can you? Yeah. I said, you want to, uh, you want to go to, uh, back up the coasters for the rest of the summer. And he knew of the band and all that. And he said, if you buy me a double stack Marshall, I'll go. So we bought him a double stack Marshall <laughs> and, um, he didn't go to college. He, he was going to college. This is like, July, he's leaving for college at the end of August, I think. And he never ended up going to college because oh. of that. So then after that, that t- the Joey and Ricky and me, that turned into crack the sky. Right. And then we got, it actually was a seven piece band and we had horn players and everything. And, and, and Rick was saying, so once we really started getting lean and wanted to make it, That was the one thing I liked about Rick because it was like, I'm getting out of this town. And that's the bottom line. I'm going to go out there and do it, you know, and you had to have that heart, you know, to be able to sustain what was ahead. So, you know, that, that was like, you know, how we bonded. And then, uh, Rick came back and said, man, I read this, I met this writer and we were looking for a singer and, uh, he brought John Palumbo down. And John, I, I can still remember how we were set up and everything. I have a really good memory about this stuff. He was standing there and I was sitting here with my bass and Joey D'Amica was there and he started playing ice. Right. Yeah. You know the song Ice Six Eight? Da 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 and I looked at Sticks like right after he started playing, and I, I would do the basic drum arrangements too which is a whole nother story. But I went, boom, 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 don't, 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 and that's what, and we thought, wow, this is really good. This is like the first thing we've ever heard. This is really good. Can he be our lead singer? Like, I don't know. you know, That kind of voice, it was like, you know, Foreigner was out, right? Dirty white boy. Um, uh, Lou Graham. And then you had Kansas was just coming out too. We all kind of came out at the same time.
2: Just another band out of Boston, right?
1: Yep. <laughs> yeah. But it ended up like you were saying, um uh the they still tell me, like Chris who does guitar for me, he's a great soloist. Um, he said, Man, you know, it's just I just love working with you, you know. It, it it's great. It's like, you know, you you don't realize it, but you guys are Led Zeppelin out here you know and he'll say that to me like you're that famous and i'm like see back here like we don't like we never put that on you know that never really became part of us that we were like something but we did our last gig in baltimore with the with the original band Fog uh, foghat in boston opened for us wow so so that tells wow. you how big it was <laughs> and like i'm standing on the side of the stage with the guys from foghat and Boston's playing, mm. right? And we're next. <laughs> and, and I'm talking to, talking to those guys and the promoters there. And I went, why more than a feeling that song yeah. was just hitting big too? Why are we going on after them? He went, you'll see. Right <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah. This is going to be good. We were really nervous. And when we went out, they knew every word to every song. We didn't really even have to sing. It was just like this big, very cool thing there. But, um, yeah, that's kind of a, another ironic thing, you know, that so I mean, you know, we got real close and I think if the band had stayed together because the third record, Safety and Numbers, really, you know, did well. Um, we didn't have a single from it. Um, Rick and Deb wrote, a song called A Night on the Town with Snow White. Yeah, that was a very good song. Okay. And
0: <laughs> I was wondering yeah, about I the symbolism there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Was it a fast song? Did it? <laughs> a Night on the Town with you. We'll start for dinner. It's tacos for two. We'll take a move. It was a nice song. I mean, you know, were I you also this. singing then, Joe? Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't singing lead, so John Palumbo was. Oh, that was on Safety and Numbers, so that was Gary mm-hmm. and, and Yeah, Gary replaced John for, for the Safety and Numbers album, and he was just a friend back home, and we were up in Woodstock, uh, Bearsville, rehearsing in the barn to do the record, and, and we still didn't have a lead singer. And Ricky said, let me just say a word to, to, to you and don't react yet. Okay, Gary Chapel i love gary chapel and he's a cool guy he was there was something about gary He was just a cool guy and we would go to see him you know just out the road and he had a hofner base and stuff and he was just a cool guy Boy, he's a really cool guy you think he could cut it man i don't know but we got to do something so we got gary he flew up and went straight in the studio in uh more in Heights, Quebec, Lay Studio, which is where Rush did all their stuff, okay? So if you ever see, like, Tom Sawyer, mm-hmm. you'll see the inside of the studio, and then outside of that window, you'll see a bunch of white because it, it was snow, but that snow was on a lake. That's actually a lake there. Mm-hmm. And they had a boat, and then this big house with every room, every bedroom in it had a different international motif, Right. So I was like in the, uh, I think it was like the Japanese room. There was just little tiles everywhere and stuff. And then there was a mate, a chef, and is this steak big enough? Like, you know, that, that kind of stuff. It was like a really cool thing. But when I listen, cause I teach bass players all want to learn Getty. So I, I'm pretty good on the Getty stuff. But when I hear those records, I can hear the sound of that console, you know, and that's the same sound that's on, the safety in numbers like there's just a little metallic high end about it you know but it was just a great studio and the, the bg's Bee had been there before uh yeah before us and rush before them so okay so this film you pick spinal
0: tap okay is that is that every rock and roll band's film that they think is about them or what's the story with this particular film
1: just about and you know you could <coughs> You could argue it, you know, forever. Um, it's still all speculative. The one thing that I do know in the film, when they got lost, they were in Cleveland. Okay, guess right. who got lost in Cleveland?
0: Okay, Black the guy.
1: Yeah. See, and I was going to call Gary, um, Derek. I was going to call Derek and and ask him some more information. But I couldn't get a hold of him I mean who's Derek Derek Sutton is uh what was the guy's name Ian Faith mm-hmm. right the credits at the end says Derek yeah, the real Derek Sutton is Ian Faith right and he kind of acted like Derek too about the man-
0: the manager of the the band? manager the manager
1: mm-hmm. yeah right acted a lot like Derek and um I talked to Derek a couple of years ago I called him. I had, the only number I had was his British number. I figured I'd get the office because I was producing a bunch of bands in Baltimore, so I was traveling out there every Wednesday and coming back to Ohio every Sunday. And they were going to be out there. uh Robin Trower was going to be there. So I just called the number that I had, and, I, and he answered. And I said, is this Derek Sutton? He was like, yes. I said, this is Joe Magma. Oh, my God. How you doing? How you been? And we talked for a while, and I said, yeah, are are you coming to uh, Robin's show? I'd love to see you. And he said, oh, no. And he mentioned some girl's name, the road manager. He said, she don't want me around. I'm too intense for her. And, you know, but I'll get you back. So he got me tickets and everything like that. What happened was I came back home, and and I I walk or jog every day. I have almost my whole life. This dog attacked me and. Almost ripped my left arm off. Oh, it was gosh. a pit bull. Oh, I'm telling you, it was bad, 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 bad. Like people coming out of their houses, oh my God, look, get an ambulance, you know, get an ambulance, go to the hospital. It it was nasty. And uh, mm. so I didn't get to go to the show, but I wanted to see Robin, you know. That's the one guy we never opened for him. And, and Derek only had three acts at that point. And who were the acts? that Sticks, Crack the Sky, and Robin Trower, right? And so we did lots of gigs with Sticks, and those started out with Denny DeYoung, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, my first impression of Sticks was, what a heck of a band, you know, but they definitely had that Spinal Tap thing, you know? What's, okay, 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 so what is the Spinal Tap? Okay,
0: wait. First of all, Sticks was my favorite band growing up. That's, I okay. went to every show they did in Providence, Rhode Island, every year, without, okay. without a doubt. I actually saw them 20 years ago with Foreigner and Sticks. I think they did something out here in Maryland. Maybe you might have been part of that. I don't know. Okay. What did you mean by they're like Spinal Tap? What was it about Sticks that was like Spinal Tap? Was it the Pursuits. theatrics?
1: Yes. No.
0: Dennis yes. D. Young, was he part of that problem or what? Yes.
1: <laughs> I'm selling away. Like everything was real profound, right. you know, which is cool. I mean, it was great. Yeah. But that they were more like Spinal Tap, I think, than, you know, we were. <laughs> I mean, again, are you
0: saying it was a, the, 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 the group dynamics or the, yeah. What does it mean? Tell me it, it what it means. The they were
1: like, it, it was their image. Their image was that they were kind of heavy. Oh, you know.
0: And I seriously,
1: I mean yeah. that 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 was kind of it. You know. And we were kind of more progged out, more musical. I, uh, I don't mean to compare. You know, but you know, we did a lot of crazy musical stuff, and uh, never worried about who we were opening for. You <laughs> know, never. Um, we did a gig. At the Spectrum opening, there was, I think, five bands. Blue Oyster called. I can't even remember the other band. It's Sanford Townsend Band, if you remember that name. Smoke um, from a Distant Fire. Yeah, that's right. And they gave us 20 minutes. Sort of like 20 minutes and no one That's encore. like one of your songs. I, exactly. So <laughs> we loaded up. We did Hold On, Surf City, Just the strongest. Oh, and hold on, Surf City. Um, She's a dancer. She's a dancer. And then, and what was our, oh, the William Tell Overture. Mm -hmm. We, we ended with what used to be the, our encore, but we made it the last song in the show. Right. And, and then right after that, Rick said, this was kind of planned too. And thank you very much. Here, Here's a song. We understand one of the writers is here tonight. chika, chika, chicka, 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 chicka. chicka, chicka. Ooh, I am the walrus. Doom, doom, doom. 16,000 people. <sighs> and I never felt that before. It was like, I mean, outdoor concerts, lots of people, but you don't feel, in an arena, you feel it. man. And it was like, they thought John Lennon was there. So as soon as that response happened i looked over at ricky and he went they bought it
4: <laughs>
1: they bought it which was a, not a good thing to do but here's yeah. the thing <laughs> okay there if Derek was there he probably would have loved it because you know he made sticks like a national brand and he compared it to mcdonald's did you see that interview with him so it's on facebook i watched it yeah and uh anyway None of the other bands got any attention that night. The, all the press came down to our locker room. Where's John Lennon? Where's John? I don't know, man. That's I just heard that, you know, and that was all, all we said. And they they were just and then it was in the paper and everything, you know, all this stuff about John Lennon.
3: Being so married. he just said that yes. to uh, undermine the other acts.
1: You better believe
3: it.
0: jesus so
2: one thing i noticed uh is that spinal tap to me was a you know i thought those guys you know it was a comedy it was like a a total
0: uh, i think the point is that they took themselves too seriously which is what i think you're saying about sticks
1: my childhood band
0: thank you very much
1: no, uh, I, I don't mean it that they t- took that. We took ourselves too seriously. Like, I guess they, I know, guess you
0: have to, but
1: yeah, you do. You know, it's like, look, you know. Let me ask
0: you this: Did you guys all? Is there in Spinal Tap? Do you go? That's me. That's Derek. That's I know you said Derek because he's a manager, but as the group, did you all pick one nah, of those guys? Not say, too much. Nah. No, nah, they didn't, okay. they
1: didn't get that specific. I, I you know, I don't think. Uh, you know, and Saxon was in the band. That the tube got stuck on right yeah the bass player yeah. right Who, who's he, the actor um oh uh, here yeah the
0: yeah, yeah. Harry Shear. Shear. yeah
1: yeah harry sheer right he was in the mighty wind too right right yeah but mm-hmm. so apparently that did happen but but i and then they said that the stonehenge thing was definitely aussie that's what it that seems to be the consensus Right. Now, I didn't go to any Aussie shows or we didn't never open for him or anything. So I, you know, I'm not sure if he had any staging like that. That seems to be accepted. Um, but I uh, mean, Chris and I were talking
0: before we went on the air and, and Chris said, you know, I think this was like the first uh, fake documentary, uh, uh, about a rock band. And I said, well, there was that one called the Ruddles. Was it the Ruddles yeah, with Eric Idle? That I think was before this one. Yeah. Uh but this is the one everybody always goes back to is Spinal Tap. Yeah. Right? It's Chris, love. I mean, you love yeah. this film.
4: Yeah, I mean I love Spinal Tap. And what I'm kinda what I'd I'd love to hear about it, Joe, is like, you know, what I find Spinal Tap so interesting is all these like little kind of um Things that seem very realistic, like, like the scene with like Paul Simon, you know, where he's the, uh, he's the hype man or whatever. He's the guy that's supposed oh, to. Oh, no, you know, Paul, um, he,
1: Schaefer. Paul Schaefer.
4: Schaefer. Sorry. Did I say Paul <laughs> Simon? I meant Paul. Paul Schaefer. Simon was in Annie Hall. Yeah. You gotcha. he, he I I got gotcha, you. Sorry. Person. Um, but where he's talking, you know, and like, you know, nobody shows up at the record signing, you know, and things like that. And it feels to me like that just, you know, that just smacks of like, uh, authenticity. You know? Yeah. And also yeah. like that great scene where they're at the party, the release party. And then there's this randomly really old guy from the company, uh, Sir David Eaton Hogg, which <laughs> is up. Yeah, yeah, but like when you guys were especially like when you 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 know you had like three or four albums that you put together there uh when you were like together together mm-hmm. and then were, were you involved in any of those kinds of crazy things where you're like meeting like these random people um for like release parties and then showing up at like signings and there's either a, like it sounds like whenever you showed up in baltimore you know there was probably tons of security to keep you guys from getting mobbed but like it sounds like at the same time, if you ended up in Kansas City, there might it might have been like a whole different yeah. animal.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's the thing. Like, um, forget about Baltimore, but th- but that that actually happened to us. Nobody we did a signing and no one showed up. No, I mean I don't know how many other bands that happened to. Mm-hmm. But how, Derek what was that, is that in? I can't remember. I thought uh, Jimmy Griffiths is was our other lead guitar Sorry. player. He's in California and I talked, I spoke with him yesterday and, and he reminded me of that. Um, he said, yeah, do you remember that, that, uh, the scene about, uh, nobody showed up in the record store? That had to be us. <laughs> that's
0: <laughs> what California? I mean. I think everybody, I've never been in a band, so I, I can't speak to it, but it feels like that everybody goes, that's, they're looking at us. That was us. I think Sean even mentioned that when so. we did Spinal Tap for the yeah. show that he might have been talking about you getting lost in the backstage of Cleveland or wherever it was. So everybody relate. And that's why it's, it's relatable because it's real. Yeah. Like when you see that record company guy come in with his jacket, those, you know, those jackets, the velvet jackets they had in the seventies and the, yeah. you know, those guys all wear those. Yeah. I mean, they hit everything spot on. And I think everybody goes, that's,
1: they're talking about us. That's why and this, they this movie for- is so. Go ahead. Yeah. And they did for the bands too. P- the guys and bands it was perfect it was exactly what was going on right you know and the fact that you know mckeon actually sang and stuff like that like i remember him from laverne and shirley sure yeah. squiggy right yeah squiggy, oh, squiggy. And, and he was lenny was oh, right he
0: was lenny i'm sorry You're he correct.
1: was lenny. Lenny and squiggy <laughs> yeah.
3: he was in you know he was in that band um that did walk away oh, renee, renee. Get
1: out of here! Yeah, he yeah. was in a he I was actually in the with band. With yeah,
3: him. he I was that before song. he became an actor. See a lot of he wasn't actors. On that record, yeah. because but like everyone quit after that record, and he was on the touring band and he did their other songs. So he was a musician and a singer before oh, okay. he was an actor.
1: Just yeah. walk away, he's, Renee.
3: Not left a, bank, the left bank. Yeah. Left bank, yeah.
2: yeah. But not only can he sing, but he can act, and
0: he's he's
2: very funny. He, oh, he did best in show. You ever see that movie,
0: Jess? Yeah. Oh.
2: I mean, really, he's a triple threat.
0: But that's why the truth is in this film, because he, yeah. he lived it. He lived it, right? I mean, yeah. I think. He got to go on tour. He
3: he's yeah. knew that. But
2: so- here's the thing about you, Crack the Sky, you guys had such pure talent. Now, Spinal Tap, they had a, they had a form of talent, but it was a mimic of a, of a, of, they were mimicking a yeah. great talent. So in a lot of ways, you guys are the antithesis to Spinal Tap because you were like the true, you know, yeah, we don't we don't think we're anything, and here these guys were like, oh, you know, making their,
0: like their sticks. Way. That's what it sounds like you yeah. were saying about sticks.
1: <laughs> well, no, because we actually had the same attitude. Okay, look at it this way. You did? <clears throat> yeah, I I didn't uh, when it first starts. Like you're thrown into this thing, and there's like. How am I supposed to? Act? We we played in Largo, Maryland, opening opening for Zappa, right? He's shooting it. I I get up on stage. We start the first song. I look up, and the jumbotron has me. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> what do you do? You freeze. Like, yeah. Oh my God. You know, <laughs> you think people are far w- enough away where you could kind of do anything, and it's all good. You're like gigantic in the ceiling. It's like, oh no, but, um, yeah, when you, when you first start, you know, and you get out there and you, you see the reaction from people and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, I'm bad. Don't mess with me. And, it, and, but the other thing is that I learned is this and I teach my students because I have some bass player students that are like 20, 21, and I know they're going to do well in their career. So a lot of what I tell them is advice, you know, just about like what it's like out there, you know, and what to expect in these different situations, man, because nobody told me nothing. I didn't know anyone that was successful. When our first, when we went on tour on our first record, Play That Funky Music came out while we were down south, and it was on every AM, FM radio station there was, right? So, we spent the whole first tour listening to that. So, but Parisi, Bobby, he, Rob, he changed the name to Rob after he got the hit. He was Bobby Parisi. And, uh, you know, but he was always looking for a hit record and real serious and stuff. But anyway, yeah, so you get out there. Now, we're going to open for Getty, for Rush, okay? He's got the same pedals as I have, the Moog bass pedals, right, um, he was playing a Rickenbacker back then too. Not the jazz. Anyway, um, I went, I remember going into my first gig knowing because their first album had only been out for six months. And I went into that first gig <laughs> saying to myself, like, it was almost like getting ready for a fight. You know, it really was. It was like, I'm the man. I don't care who's playing here tonight. I'm kicking ass. You know, it's just something that you have to have. You know, it's it, ego, yeah. You know, I mean, how can you not have ego, you know, and feel that way? You know, you have to believe that you could do it, you know, but you are believing based on all the practicing that you've done and all the hard work you put in. You know, we weren't a party band. After the gigs, we'd go back to the hotel, holiday, and usually you'd have two beds. You'd have the drummer with his sticks beating on the bed, the acoustic guitars. Everybody played acoustic. I had my bass, and we would really concentrate on singing, you know, our backgrounds and stuff like that. A lot of the other bands were just out partying like crazy. So
3: you, you know? were not like – you are not a party band? You guys were just
1: – No, we had a really good time, but we were not like sloppy pigs. You know, it's just. I mean, there was a lot of that out there, you know. And Did that, you
3: ever have a cucumber in
1: your pants? Never. Can... <laughs> but if you but if you ever look at Jimmy Griffiths, you'll think that he did have one, and he always wore white pants. and And that's a story that they should have put in. We were playing Cobo Hall, right, Detroit. Mm-hmm. We get up on stage, the curtains down, we're behind the stage plugging in. Jimmy breaches down to to get his plug to plug his guitar in, and his white pants split all the way up the back, right? <laughs> and he goes, <clears throat> my pants, I split my pants, so I got to go change my pants. I said, like, you can't, You are going on now. Somehow he ran and changed his pants and came back out and played. <laughs> it's a good show, but that should have been the film too. But, but again, like all of that, you know, you, you could debate like, what all of it's about you know like uh these amplifiers yeah, if you notice they go to 11. <laughs> well back then that was just that was just a joke that we would all everybody would say you know yeah, I got the 11 on mod on my amp there, you know, and stuff like that. It was just a joke that everybody used. So I don't think you could attribute that to anybody. Well, that's why
0: I think the, 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 the film has lasted as long as it has is it's all based in some sort of truth. It's honest. It's honest. It is. So, I mean, they just distilled it down to a two and a half, two hour movie that yeah. hit every trope that you guys are talking about right now. Yeah. Um, which is why it's a universally loved film. And I think they're coming out with a sequel. Did you guys hear this, that there might be doing another one? I which no. I, I thought I heard that. I could be completely off. I don't want to cause another incident like I did with the fast dancing thing with the Indian movie, okay? That was all, the- <laughs> But I'm so, just saying. He
3: said he thought the dancing in the uh, oh, Indian cool. movie was a special effect that they sped it up.
0: I still am going to... I'm going to hold to that. that.
2: Well, <coughs> oh, I'm bringing on a
0: friend of mine who wrote an Indian film and hired the choreographer to shoot it. I'm going to ask some questions because I have <laughs> questions. But anyway, so, you know, the truth is in every frame of this film because it, it came is. from people who were part of bands. Michael McKean, you mentioned. Um, yeah. and Christopher Guess is brilliant. I mean, that guy can, he came up with that 11, but like you're saying, that was probably, everybody probably said that they just put it in the film and now it becomes part of the lexicon and everybody knows everything up to 11. I mean, that's oh, what's yeah. so universal about the film. That's why I think every band goes, Oh my God, they're talking about us. That's yeah, us. It was typical stuff
1: happened right. to everybody. Yeah.
3: Now <laughs> here's something with, um, spinal tap. Um, you know, the joke of their running joke about, um, all the drummers they've had, yeah. you know, and, it seems to be just a group of core guys now. Crack the Sky is a band that's had quite a few people run through it. Yeah. You know, and um, and it's like you've been gone for years, and then you come back, you know, sort of like um, yeah, Nigel in this. Um, so what was it like coming back to the band? Were you guys always friendly, or were you at each other's throats? Oh, no, no, Was no, it no. like, I'm leaving, and I'm never coming back? You're not no. walking
1: back? Well, you know, back... <laughs> back in what was it eighty eighty one or eighty four i don't know yeah I, I pretty much had had enough and um you know i had st- uh, volunteered at this uh a christian t v station in pittsburgh channel fifty one i think wow a long time ago and um they brought me on, and I started learning how to do broadcast, you know, and then um so at this time, Crack the Sky had already broken up, and then I was with the B. B.E. Teller Group. And uh, my wife got pregnant. You know, we've been married for a year. She gets pregnant, and I'm like, I turned into my dad. i got to get a job. <laughs> so my sister typed, and I said, can you make a resume for me? Just, just tell them I can make records. I can engineer or something. So I get a call. Go to Louisiana, state-of-the-art facility that's translating into other languages. They're translating film. So all the audio is locked to video. 24 tracks, gigantic consoles, state-of-the-art consoles. And I remember going, you know, like, seeing all this stuff, and they were interested in me, right? And I pulled the guy aside who was in charge of the department. I said, look, dude, like, I can make records and stuff like that, but you're like, this thing is following the video. It was called a Q-lock system. And so I this thing's following video, and I can I, I don't I don't know, man, if I if I could do this. You're from Ohio, right? Yes. So am I. I'm from Kent, Ohio. The people down here don't want to work. You're hard. Wow. Because <laughs> I'm from Ohio. Ohio. But he did show me everything. And then I met a guy um from NBC. I don't know where his he was originally from, but anyway, he got a hold of me and said, Come to Dallas and I've got an SSL Solid State Logic console which just a handful of guys knew how to run them back then you know and they they were just wonderful consoles so that that's how my my career started and in Texas and we were there probably 25 years um I was an engineer and then one a guy came into the studio one day and said eh, a producer and I was going to mix a commercial form or something and he said I I don't uh I can't find the uh, Harlem Globetrotters theme. I can't find it. And he's doing this commercial. He needed it. And I I said, are you in tomorrow? He said, yeah, I can be. I said, I'll get you a draft for tomorrow. You're a musician? I said, yeah, I got a 16 track at home. Okay, so I went home and I did the Globetrotters theme, did the whistle and stuff like I brought it back in. He used it, loved it, and then told the agents there was a Big agency in town there, the Richards group told everybody, you got to work with this guy. He's great. That's all I did was I started composing. I had Super Bowl spots. It's like, so forgive me,
0: Joe. This is post band. This is when you're out of the band. Yeah. This is,
1: that's what I was saying after, you know, after, after I left the band. So then I'm in Texas all this time around, you know, sometime around 2000, me and John Palumbo start talking on the phone and like, when we were in the band, you know, we loved war, you know, <laughs> and we loved those groups, you know. And so we, that's our coffee conversation would be that. What was up? How you doing, man? And it was every day, every day, every day. And then I don't know. It was just like, you know, why don't you just come back in a band or something? And they were playing Rosfest up in Philly at the, uh, I can't remember the theater. But uh, Ross Rossfest it was like we played with like Asia, oh Alan God. White, and those guys were all there. And they, you know, the Holiday Inn gave us the whole bar. I got to ask Alan White about doing um uh We All Shine On. Yeah. Well, we all shine. And he knew I was going to ask him to mm-hmm. because there's a role in there that is so far out. <laughs> well, we all shine on. And I said how did that happen and he said well we got to that point and John said we need something here something here can you just try something different here and he said I did this stupid role and he went that's it more like that and so that's that's how it be, you know got in the song and I also saw yes in uh, with Alan White's first gig at the Pittsburgh Civic Arena so they Got to America and that was their first gig. And I got to ask them, how long did you, because you, if you're familiar with yes music, you don't just learn it in a day, Mm-mm. especially Bill Bruford. I mean, that was insanity. So, and, uh, he said, Oh, I learned it on the plane on the way over. <laughs> I was like, what? And then I, since then I read that they did have a rehearsal, but it, it's nice. You know, you, when you're in those situations, you get to meet a lot of people like that. And you think, you know, like, I'm Joe from Steubenville. Like I don't I'm not worthy kinda, you know? Yeah. Like
0: uh, we world. played the,
1: Yeah, we played the CBS convention, right? Once we got with CBS, which was the safety and numbers thing. So the CBS convention was at this big hotel in New Orleans, right? And all the tables were just round tables in the ballroom with just white guys. So it's all the big Executives, everybody from CBS. Cheap Trick was on the bill. Jocko Weather Report was on the bill. I got to actually talk to Jocko, which, you know, was unbelievable. Um, I met Nigel Olson just walking down the hall, Elton's drummer, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Cheap Trick, that's when we became good friends. Uh, Robin and I became good friends, and then I've run into him over the years and stuff like that. Meatloaf comes out, and you know he's got a tux on, and he's like, you know, heavy and kind of looks sloppy. And he comes out on stage. The band starts playing, and he jumps out on the first table, picks up a beer, chugs it, boom. Picks up the next beer, chugs it, boom. Now these all these white people are (laughs) going. Yeah, right. They're all getting excited. He goes to the next table, picks up a beer and tells it. He had the crowd just like that. And so anyway, I ran into Robin years later and and we were talking about that. And he said, but do you know the rest of the story? And I said, well, that was it. He made, he became big after that. He, CBS got behind him. He said, no, he signed with our management company. And the first gig that he ever did that he opened for anyone was in Chicago, which is where they're from. Cheap trick, right? So he said he got booed off the stage and he went to the management company and said, I'll never open for anyone ever again. And he, and Robin said he didn't and he made it. Hmm. Right. So he didn't have to pay his dues.
3: So how, how was the road? I mean, did the, you go on long tours,
1: long tours. So, like, do you remember the Champagne Jam tour, the Atlanta rhythm section? I am so into you. Yeah. Okay. That was a very big tour. I think that was a no- number one record. It, it was real big. And, um, yes, we, we did like that whole tour. Uh, here again, I, I, I go up on stage and Paul Goddard big pop bottle glasses, right? I don't know if you ever seen him. He's up there in this bass and I walk up and I say, hi, you know, how you doing? I'm Joe. Joe Macri, you're my idol. (laughs) This is literally... And so, like, that's how the tour started, you know? And then Ronnie, their singer, actually wanted to come with us. And we wanted him to come with us. Like, we were trying to steal him (laughs) away from them because he just kind of fit with us, personality-wise and stuff. But the thing was... So we were also getting other gigs, right? So, you know, you're in Texas one night and then two nights later, they're going to be in California. You're going to meet them in California, but the next night you got to do heart in Seattle. So you got to fly. So you fly up to Seattle, do the heart show and fly to California. So did you fly or did you like have a bus? Like we had a bus. Yeah. yeah tour bus, which was great. And uh, we, at one of the Blue Oyster Cult shows, their bus broke down, so they had to they had to get on our bus. And I, I think I was just, I don't know. I never was a big drinker or anything, but I think I was half out of my mind. And I remember being in the back of the bus just yelling, like, stupid obscenities to these guys. They're up in the front of the bus, right? And the guys in the band were going like, man, ease up, you know? And I don't know why I was doing, not really like that, you know, but I, I was having so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> fun. So it, but it ended up, I went up with them and they were into it and they Rock were and laughing roll. and stuff like that. They were up there. Roll. Yeah. You roll. know, that's what it was. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah. So anyway, where was I? Uh, what
0: years are we talking about here? You're riding around. We're talking the buses about between...
1: 1977. Yeah, so that's yeah. 78. Yeah. Like that, two years we were on the road most yeah, of the so time. The,
0: the movie almost famous is I think around that same time period, right? Fog that yeah. was basically based on Fog Hat, I think. Yeah, that, that What's that?
4: Well, Press it's a, a mix of Leonard Skinner because they're the ones that went down in the plane. Um, right. You know, there's a, there's a lot of elements, but but I also think that um, Cameron Crowe actually <laughs> did uh, uh I think it was Leonard Skinner. Um, he. When he was basically a teenager, for
0: well, that was based on him. That kid was sort yeah. of basically Well, on yeah, him it's it's him. it's there's a lot of but that's that era. There. That's seventy. That's late seventies. Mm-hmm. That, that and it's yeah. kind of that. Yeah.
4: So yeah. let me, if I could ask you, Joe. Yeah. You know, speaking of like almost famous a little bit. You know, a, a big theme in that film, not in Spinal Tap, but is this whole idea of like. You know. Corporate, like the corporations taking over. Did you guys get a lot of pressure from that kind of stuff? Because, like, all, it's a little bit in Spinal Tap where they talk about, like, you know, they talk about the the smell of the glove record, right? And how it has this really distasteful cover, and like, you know, but if the if the if the the companies behind it, they can they can wear it down their neck. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, so like, did you guys get involved in a lot of stuff like that? Where it was it a case where like, oh, your last record wasn't su- successful enough, so we're we're gonna cut your budget for the 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 tour, or, or what what kind of like kind of like inside stuff? Like, was it did you get a lot of corporate in- involvement? Were they saying
1: at the beginning? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they tried. You know, the, the good thing about John being there was that he he was the writer, mm-hmm. right? He wrote the songs, so he would always say, uh uh-uh, uh. Mm. Nope, don't tell us what to do, you know, and they would always back off. So then after he left and we were going to do safety and numbers, um, they sent us a message. They wanted us to do ride, Captain Ride. And we said, uh-uh, not a chance. Oh, no, you know what we did? Oh, my God, I just remember this. So there was a studio, Bearsville Studio. And that's where Todd did all of his stuff before he got Secret Sound, right in Bearsville. Uh and we said, Oh, okay, we'll do it. Joey D'Amico sang lead as David Clayton Thomas. Okay. Ride, Captain, right Because he would joke around and make these different voices, and he would sing like David Clayton Thomas sometimes. Um I played drums. Well, switched instruments. It sounded horrible, but we did it and we sent it to him.
4: <laughs>
1: Never yeah. heard anything back. That yeah. was they got the message. Here you go. <laughs> they must have thought that we just were serious. I don't know. Um but yeah. Um
3: now, now okay, now speaking about song, like at Spinal Tap, um, you know, um the one guy's the songwriter mainly. Yeah. And uh Nigel is the um gets his creativity in his solos where you know they mock um like led zeppelin who used to do his thing with a violin bow yeah that time and they this time they have him playing it with a violin (laughs) now how did that work in and crack the sky if john's writing the song did everyone feel they had a great outlet or an ability to express themselves. Oh yeah, see that, that was
1: yeah, that was the beauty of it. So you have me and Joey have been together since first grade. That once the Beatles came out, and I used to go to his lunch. He lived by our St. Anthony's grade school. I used to go to his house. He had the best record collection and the cleanest records, man. I would never touch a record, and he would put like James Brown live at the Fillmore on, and we would just groove bass and drums, man. You know, so we were a team. You know, when they they inducted me into the Maryland Hall, Hall of Fame, they called me and asked me if I would do that, and I said not without Joey, you know, because we're a team, and so we both were inducted at the same time. You know, I got pictures and so and it was nice, you know, nice thing. A lot of my friends were there, um, but um, yeah, we had total creativity. So Ricky and Jimmy were the perfect match on guitars, right, and. And we kind of grew up with Allman Brothers live at the Fillmore. So those harmony guitars were just part of us, you know. Uh, we had all moved together before Crack the Sky, and we were just living there playing. That's all we did was played. And this band was called East. Um, and I actually got to see Rick learn, develop his style as a lead guitar player, you know. And and it was just like, we, we would jam for hours and hours and hours. And that, and that's how really how you get good because you try stuff, you know, and that's the Almond Brothers, man, they would just, I mean, I'm, I've been teaching Almond Brothers to this one student, the solos, you know, and they're all based on this pentatonic scale. And then, you know, and then as, as the years go by, and you, you could see how these scales develop and stuff like that. And and Rick just picked up on it real real easy. He and Jim, I think Rick had more input than Jim did. But Jim was the rock and roll guitar player. So he's the guy that the solo in Mind Baby. You know, he, he could rip. Um, but Rick had found JP. So there was kind of a dynamic there. John Palumbo. There was kind of a dynamic there already. Uh, so, so, did then, you know,
2: so I've got did a question for you, what? Joe. Yeah. Now, in the movie *Spinal Tap*, when mm-hmm. one thing we we uh, touched upon this uh, podcast is this the bromance, <laughs> the bromances that you guys have for each other. <laughs> and, tell us about that. You know what I'm talking about, right?
1: Uh yeah, sorta. Yeah, I mean, you know, you you hit it off with some people a lot better than others, right? And I, me and John hit it off mostly because our upbringings were so much Italian alike, you know, yeah. his dad, like, you know, I, I remember going to sitting at his, his house. They had like a little table in the kitchen that was up against the wall. It was rounded off. And I remember sitting there with his, his dad and John drinking coffee and, and he, his dad would say, Johnny, when you get to New York, you listen to Joey. He'll take care of you. He's not going to let those people <laughs> take advantage of you. You know yeah. what I mean? Because our dads knew each other and stuff like yeah. that. So we kind of, we kind of. I did not want a room with him on the road. I will tell you that. You know, because it was everything had to be perfect. You know, this that, that. so me and me and Joey room together also so and then we had a keyboard player and a a sax player he passed away a couple years ago the sax player and um basically it was we got the call from cashman and west who produced jim croce okay i think he was on like abc dunhill or something like that but we got a call and it said um so um Terry Minogue, who produced our first album, uh, was in touch with Rick and John because they had gone to New York and just played songs acoustically. So so Terry called and said, could you get a demo together of the band and send it up? So I had two SM-58s hanging from the ceiling. I'm the only guy that had a reel-to-reel tape machine, and we just played and sang these songs, reeled it out, and sent it to him. And we get a phone call, and it's... Uh, we want you guys to move to New York. We're going to start making records. So now I'm in the mill for a year and a half in Steubenville, you know, Pittsburgh area, the steel mill was good and retirement was good. And I wanted out and I wanted to be a musician and pursue a career. But so I'm working on like the, the uh, I'm running a buster all day, uh, making roads in the steel mill and this and that. We get the call and, I walked down to where my dad is the foreman, the tin mill, which is clean. It's the only place in the mill that's clean. He's got a tie on and his white hat and stuff like that. And I go, I'm like, geez, you got it made down here. And he goes, what's up? I said, we got a call from New York, from Jim Croce's people. And they want us to move to New York and start making records. He said, you got a year and a half in the mill. Another six months, you're in the union. You're in forever. They they can't get rid of you. I was like, yeah, I know. But what if? I'm going to have to live with what if? I mean, this is not a fly-by-night company. Jim Croce's had big hits. Sure. You know? And that's how they f- did form the record company, I believe, was, you know, insurance and, and all that. I, I would assume that. But um, he said, finally... And and it motivates me to this day. He said, you're a grown man. You do whatever you think is best, but whatever you do, you better do it with all your heart. And that's, that's still my motivation today. You know, it's like, um, good for him. Good for him. Yeah. Well, he was, he was one of these guys. He was quiet, you know, he wasn't like me, you know, but he, He just, when he said something, he meant it, you know. And so I make records now just out of the love of doing it. And, I, you know, and I I just want to keep getting better. I know I'm never going to reach where I want to reach. You know, I, I tried to become Stanley Clark when he came out and I bought the Alembic and I, just learned as much as I could, we didn't have YouTube back there. we didn't have people demonstrating how to play stuff. It was drop that needle, lift the needle boom um, hum the notes note. you know, which is hard to do on a right but um you know so so that 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 drove me the other guys you know i I think now ricky he he saw the almond brothers in Youngstown, debbie, and uh he, after the show, you know, this is before I knew him. After the show, he went up to him, to, uh, and said, Hey, listen to one of the roadies or something. I just want to be with you guys. Like, could I just travel with you and like be a roadie? Like I'll do anything you want. <coughs> right. He offered to do that. And they, they, you know, I mean, it obviously didn't happen, but you know, he was, he was dead serious about getting out too, you know and the band before crack the sky that was called east like we we did well we never made any records or anything mm-hmm. you know but you know we had so many we were in um raleigh right and we're playing this nice club in raleigh right two strange things happened that night zeppelin's crew is there right they come in and we take a break i think we were playing like three sets we take a break Hey, Zeppelin's crew. Yeah. They're all talking to us being nice. Why don't you come to the sound check tomorrow? And you know, at this time, this is like 71 Zeppelin was the show you wanted to go to. I mean, right. And so we all went to the sound check the next day. We walk in and they go, Hey, where's the drummer? Well, he, he didn't come with us. And Ricky said, I play drums. So he went up on bottom set. Mm. And, you you know, in the solo, I think it's in rock and roll with the triplets. It's like a snare tom and a kick drum. The Bonham used to do. Rick went up and started doing that. And they were like, you know, and he's playing and playing and playing. And he went, okay, guitar player. And he he was already up there. And he went, me. You know, and they gave him Jimmy Page's double neck. Remember the double neck like SG? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He played it. He did a sound check on that. That same night, okay, six months after this ZZ Top's first record comes out, we knew who they were as soon as they came out because we love ZZ Top. A guy walks up to the stage on our second set and goes, Hi, I'm Billy Gibbons. You mind if we sit in tonight? They were there, ZZ Top. <laughs> we are like, Billy Gibbons? Yeah. They came up and did the whole last set. And then halfway through, we kind of came up. Oh, there were two bass players. I was like, I'm not getting out of here without playing with those guys, right? So there's like those kind of things that happen. You're in Timbuktu and you run into somebody.
2: That's joyous. That is right.
1: Yeah. You you know, it was like – but one of the best ones for me was at that CBS convention, after our show, I went to my room, and I took a shower, and I got on the elevator to go to the penthouse. That was going to be the party of the century, right, with just all the big wigs there. So um, I'm, And I promise you that all of this is true. I, I could not live with myself if I made up stories. I mean, this is true. The elevator door, I'm on my way up to penthouse. The elevator door opens. Billy Joel walks in, Okay. Mm-hmm. Now at that time my hair was kind of long and curly and hit, and Ricky used to introduce me as Joe. I love you just the way you are, Macri. Because they're, I guess they He saw some resemblance, whatever. So Billy Joe walks in and I'm like, I am not leaving this. Sit here. So I turn to him and I go, Well, I bet a lot of people were mistaking you for me tonight. <laughs> he busted <laughs> out laughing and he said. Let's go have some fun. So we get to the penthouse. I spent the whole time with him, the whole party. He introduced me to everybody as his brother, Joey. <laughs> like everybody, like I think the president might have been Irv Azoff or somebody at that time. It was one of those big names. Every, I met everybody, but he, but the thing is, you know, you're always thinking like, This can't be happening. Pinch me. Like, I'm not in Hollywood. I've never been anywhere. I'm I'm from Steubenville, right? I don't, you know, uh, we played with the uh, ELO, right, in New Orleans. The, uh, The stage is up here, right, and the floor is dirt. So it doesn't go up like this. So people can't really see you if you're sitting on stage kind of towards the back. Which where I'm sitting and out of the blue, the spaceship lands, right? And Jeff Lynn comes up and I'm sitting there thinking like, I don't belong here. Hmm. Like, you know what I mean? This can only happen to one person. Why why is this happening to me? Like, you know, that's the whole. And then when I tell stories like on Facebook, people are like, you should write a book. You should. Well, I, I, I'm going to do a podcast about those experiences, and then you know, at some right point, here. because right I here. hate typing.
2: smash the button, smash that button, smash First, that like button. John? <laughs> yeah, What's this is a good uh,
0: trial trial run for you. Listen, it all goes back yeah. to your dad saying, "Be the best you can be." That's what you did. That's the honesty <laughs> right there, and that's why you're sitting saying, "I shouldn't be here," when that's where you're supposed to be. So, yeah. I mean, that's an amazing. Yeah. Amazing life. It's a. Ama- it's it's. got
1: a lot of
2: heart too, Joe. You yeah. really do. It. It just oh, shows thanks. in the music and your description so of much. your your hum- humble self. You know. Yeah. yeah and that's what it is about Steubenville. Is the humility. <laughs> 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 Such a small.
0: Place. It might be a little Italian in you too. That's the other. A I mean, little um, bit. I'm, I know. I'm a Quattrucci I got that the I at the end like of my name.
3: Love yeah. It. So. <laughs> oh my <laughs> yeah. God
0: all right we got to wrap this up as much as i i don't listen you, you don't give away all your stories on this podcast if you're going to do your own so let's let's hold <laughs> no, it, no, let's no, hold no. it i got a
1: million of them I right, more. we'll keep people
0: wanting more keep them wanting yeah, yeah. more so okay uh right. we really appreciate you joining us yes. spinal tap i mean I gl- i'm glad we talked a little bit about it but it was way more fun listening to your stories. so i uh, really appreciate that